back in history, you see strongholds being built in each of those eras. So, and typically in previous eras, strongholds were, were built as storehouses for food and water. In the, the era that we are coming out of the end of here, that was designed at the end of the Second World War, uh, the strongholds of, of this particular era are really characterized more as storehouses for wealth. And so if you look at the fossil fuel sector of stronghold, fossil fuel uh, as a sector has made around about $3 billion a profit a day for the last 50 years. And now that is a massive storehouse for wealth. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Today I speak with Stuart McLaughlin. He's the CEO of Anthesis Group. And this is a business which consults in the whole area of sustainable business models. He's grown the business from 2013 to over a thousand people across several continents with companies that include many Fortune 500 businesses, FTSE 100 companies. And we get into a really deep conversation here around what sustainable performance is. He's written a book called Adventures in Sustainable Performance, and it shows he's a deep thinker. He's really thought about the climate challenge and the incentives that are stacked up against leaders and the way that leaders can reimagine systems to multiply their impact for good by changing the very parameters in which we're playing. You see, as a CEO, we can either play within the game, within the rules that exist, or we can reinvent the game. And it's the second thing that Stuart's so passionate about. So if you want a conversation that's gonna stretch your thinking, somebody who's really uh, focused and determined to change from one era to another era of business, then you're gonna love this conversation with Stuart McLaughlin. Hi, Stuart, and welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Good to be here. So what I know about you is that not only are you the chief exec of Anthesis Group, consulting company on a mission to, to change the way uh, we think about sustainability, the companies work on with sustainability issues, but you've also somehow in the, man- in the midst of running this, I think it's over a thousand people uh, group now, you managed to write a book, which is, uh, which is pretty impressive too. So I want to know, kind of, I know your book is called Adventure of, Adventure of Sustainable Performance. First of all, what is sustainable performance in the first place? And uh, what was your own adventure that led you to write this book? Yeah, uh, so I have to say I had a co-author as well, uh, Dean Sanders, who's a friend, colleague, co-author. Uh, and um, so he, um, he needs to take quite a lot of credit for it as well. Yeah, so uh, I, think, I think if I just sort of frame the big picture, then that would allow me to talk a bit about what, where we see sort of sustainable performance and what it means. Uh, and uh, so we see ourselves as, as really coming to the end of an era, an era that is characterized by certain models and systems. And with any era, you see that the the, uh, the building of certain strongholds. Uh, so, you know, you can look at uh, linear business models or a particular form of consumerism or a particularly sort of really short-term um, perspective of capitalism or fossil fuels. Uh, these are all the kind of strongholds of the 
uh, of what we now consider to be the old era. And we, we believe that the world recognizes now the brokenness of those models and that they're starting to decay and break down. And as they do, we, uh, we all, the world, will be stepping into a place of disruption, a place of potential peril, but also a potential of, uh, a, a place of potential of value creation, opportunity, hope, as we start to reimagine what the new era might look like. And so, you know, we, we're trying to sort of, we try to set things within a sort of perspective of a journey and all the implications of that where leaders are having to move from being leaders that are particularly effective at managing the status quo uh, and and seeking all those kind of incremental efficiency gains to more more pioneering form of leadership where you actually got to step into this place that is is unknown uh, that is full of disruption uh, and uh, and where they have to then take all of their stakeholders with them not necessarily all their assets, because some of the assets that they've currently got will be stranded in the old era, but obviously some of the assets will be of value and they're going to have to steward them across this transition zone into the new era. Uh, and the question is that people pose, so well, what are we trying to achieve? You know, Is it net zero? The world's talking about net zero. And, and, uh, or is it a circular business model or social justice? And you know, these are all ingredients really associated with the model for the new era. Uh, and we haven't designed that model yet. We can see some of the ingredients, uh, but uh, but it's not probably designed. But we call that whatever that model is when it is finally designed a model that operates within planetary boundaries. It's got a different partnership with nature uh, that that builds off what we hope will be a just transition. Is that model is what we call sustainable forts, and we see the journey to get there as an adventure. Hence the reason for the title the adventure of sustainable worlds interesting so yes yeah, so i love this idea of, of this journey uh yeah into the unknown and tell me about the word strongholds it's a very specific word so what's the impact of these strongholds like i think you mentioned linear business models and some others what does that mean that there's a stronghold are those things that are basically just really hard to dismantle is that basically the point things which are basically sucking sucking us into their Bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we, we, we've used quite a lot of metaphors in the book, and I, I guess this is one. Uh, and I think that you, you sort of see, if you go back through the different eras uh, back in history, you see strongholds being built in each of those eras. So, and typically, in previous eras, strongholds were, were built as storehouses for food and water. In the, the era that we are coming out of the end of here, that was designed at the end of the Second World War, uh, the strongholds of, of this particular era are really characterized more as storehouses for wealth. And so if you look at the fossil fuel sector of stronghold, fossil fuel uh, as a sector has made around about $3 billion a profit a day for the last 50 years. Okay, now that is a massive storehouse for wealth. And now, whether it's a from Sweden, or whether it's big financial institutions, or whether it's the general public, people are telling that particular stronghold, your time is up. Your time is up. You've got to come out of that stronghold, and you've got to hit the off-ramp. Uh, and you've got to, for them, it's about energy transition. But it's the same It's the same issue, that they've got to step into this transition zone. Uh, and what we have typically seen in 
I mean, I've been in this world for 30 years, so I've been observing it for 30 years, is, is that when, when leaders of these strongholds are challenged in the way that uh, we, are, we are challenging them now on this podcast, we have typically seen leaders trying to shore up the walls of the stronghold. That has been their response. Why would you want to step out of the stronghold into a place of disruption uh, and a place of jeopardy? You know, that goes against the instincts of leaders. Uh, the instincts of leaders are very much that shore up the walls. Let us, uh, let us keep our stakeholders here. Uh, and increasingly, over time, we've seen uh, a number of these industry sectors using greenwashing as a way to create a fantasy zone, climate denial, as a way of creating a fantasy zone into which they can take their stakeholders and convince them that everything's okay. We don't have to come out of the stronghold. We can stay here. It's safe. This is a place where we feel secure. And because of these climate denial facts, as they're putting them, right, they have been able to show up their pension pots for another two years, three years, four years, and so it's gone on. I think what's different now, uh, and, and there are a number of things that we can, we, can, we can look at in terms of why those strongholds have been shaken to a point of potential destruction, is that we're now facing the big stick of clients. So we've got lots of new regulation and legislation that's coming in. So, so leaders are now having to face up to the big stick of compliance that is bashing them out of strongholds. You know, they have no option now but to step out into this transition zone, into this journey. Yeah, so what you're saying there is that actually these regu regulatory boundary conditions are really important, right? That so it sounds like there's, from your, your perspective here, there's, if you're winning in the old era, you're not going to want to change to the new era. Exactly. Why would you? Why would you? Uh, and it's just, it goes, it goes against, it goes uh, against the instincts. It goes against human nature. It goes against the types of leaders that we have created who are, have been highly effective at managing businesses that operate within the status quo. So how do you go about advising those leaders i mean if you're facing somebody who's got a existing business right generating value serving customers serving stakeholders in different ways how would you encourage them to go on this adventure in some way right like without being irresponsible well they might see as being an irresponsible figure right you know hurling their their business that's into someone into the forces of the unknown you know how would you help them to take some steps i'm curious yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we've worked over many years for particularly um, progressive leaders who have recognised that this moment in time is is inevitable, and, and so, and it's you know it's the right thing to do to um, to step into the journey. So, you know, there are some early pioneers, but but that is tiny, tiny fraction of all the leaders uh, around the world who are now having to face up to the reality that they've got to meet. So, I I think there's. Uh, the, we I suppose we we liken it to um, to talk about another kind of um, metaphor. Uh, we liken it to being a base camp. So the world's a base camp, and it needs to get to Everest. And uh, and if you're a base camp and you want to go to the summit, what you don't want is a Sherpa that turns up with a strategy report that says, "Hey, have a read of this." You know, this talks about the theory by which you might want to get to the summit, 
and you know a nice process that you might want to follow and good luck hope it helps you and then goes away you don't want that kind of support what you want is a sherpa that turns up and says i'm here to help all right i know how to do this stuff i've got the oxygen tank i've got the mask i've got the equipment i'm going to train you in terms of how to use it i'm going to build confidence in you. i'm going to build capacity and capability in you right and when we are ready we're going to embark on the journey and i'm going to be alongside you all the way to the summit uh, and by the way i've been there before a few times so i know what it looks like right and that's what these leaders need and through what we started sort of 10 years ago in anthesis where we could we could see that there was so much talk about sustainability there was hardly any action where there was action there was a very high failure rate and we we looked at what that was and so we've tried to piece together that sort of more holistic solution focused solutions orientated uh, proposition within our thesis that is the sherpa that turns up and and says hey i've got the experience i know what it looks like i've got the equipment i'm going to build capacity in you i'm not going to ask i'm not going to, I'm not going to extract value we're not going to extract capacity from you as an organization to strengthen up my consultancy operation right because that doesn't help you and it doesn't help the world what we need to do is we need to build competence and capability within our clients organizations so they can actually do the trip themselves so Stuart, the that implies that this trip you you can already you've already done the trip right i mean what i was hearing was we we're going into this kind of liminal zone this unknown space where we don't know the answers um so where do these shippers come from in in that sense yeah, no, I think that's a really good question, and it and it would be it would be wrong, and I would be misrepresenting this situation if I said that anybody has been to the new era. So if anybody says, "Hey, we've been to the new era, we know exactly what it looks like, and we can take you there," right? Then we would we would have a few questions. Now that doesn't mean to say that that we we don't have lots of people who have have been scouts, if you like. Scouts is probably um, uh, a good word to use in this. Uh, in this context, that a, a bit out can see the next steps and know what net zero looks like and know what circular business models look like and know what works and what doesn't work. It's got the experience, all that kind of And they can bring that back. But as I said before, you know, the the next era, the new model that we call sustainable performance, we've got a sense now as to what the ingredients are, but actually we don't know how it all fits together. Uh, and that's part of the excitement. And that's what I keep on saying to people who say, you know, we feel despair for the next generation, you know, because of, you know, all the concerns about, you know, the climate science and so on. And I understand that, but it is an incredibly exciting time to be alive as the next generation. You will get the opportunity to be able to reimagine, redesign, piece together in a much more effective way what that new model looks like. So if you're a, if you're a leader in, you know, a, a business that's got, you know, it's not... Uh... It's not an oil and gas business, say, but it's you know it, it's not it's not a green tech and what NGO or something like that. You're just like a regular business, you know. You're doing your stuff. You know, there's some environmental footprint. Um, what are some of the what's the mental model that you'd start to give? You know, you start to invite these leaders to think about, right? They might say, you know, what I like just this small small business or mid sized business. Can I really make much of an impact? Does it really matter what I do? Can I just continue with my existing model, leave it to other people, government or whatever? So, what kind of tools would you want wanting to put in their tool in their toolkit, or uh, what lenses would you want to give them to start to see the world through? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I mean, the way they're going to start to feel the effects of all of this is is that 
uh, for companies and a lot of the biggest corporations in the world are signing up, for example, net zero. Because you need to be able to achieve net zero, you need to do what we call scope one, two, and three. Scope one or two is more of direct emissions. Scope three is where you look upstream or downstream in terms of the impact of what you do as a business. And that is particularly meaningful when you look into your supply chain, because then you have to start to measure the carbon performance of your suppliers. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure from coming coming further up to the corporate food chain on all organizations, small and large, to not just to measure their performance, you know, that's the first step, but then to go on the journey with their customers and their clients. Uh, and um, now, and, and that's typically in a sort of B2B model. In a B2C model, their customers are now starting to apply a lot of pressure, a lot of research around this at the moment that to the buying decisions and, and customer behavior is changing according to the sustainability performance of products. So that's, that's another pressure that small and large organizations are, are going to feel. And then, of course, employees. Employees are making their selections as to who they want to work for according to purpose and mission and ethics and those kind of things. Uh, and that's why, you know, we, we sort of say, well, we, we absolutely understand why money is the muscle of mission, but businesses should not exist just to make money. You know, that is not the reason for their existence. Uh, you know, we recognize that there are superior financial returns, superior offers on the other side of the purpose. But that's only if you authentically focus on the purpose and the mission of the organization. Uh, and then you get all these other kind of benefits with your stakeholders starting to crawl around what you're trying to do. And that we find that very powerful. Yeah. How have you found that to be true in your own business? Yeah, well, we are uh, we are B Corp. Uh, and, um, and for those people who don't know what, what B Corp is, so, so typically, typically businesses operate in such a way that um, uh, that they, they believe that their primary mission is to deliver an actual turn to their shells. And, uh, and actually, I mean, for the, the historians amongst your listeners will probably uh, know more about this than me, but uh, but it tended it, it, it sort of flicked in in the U.S. around a famous economist called Milton Friedman, who lived um, about uh, 40, 50 years ago, and uh, and and that's when it shifted from uh, businesses believing that uh, within the Constitution, I think actually in America the Constitution's been changed in terms of when you bought it off the shelf. Articles of Association, as we call it here in the UK, uh, to uh, hey, your primary responsibility, your fiduciary duty as directors, is to look after your shareholders and to give them maximum financial return. Uh, and uh, and actually, in the UK and other parts of Europe, when you take a of Articles of Association and you read them, most of us don't read them, but it actually says you have a responsibility to stakeholders. Now, it doesn't always feel that way because we tend to follow the way that that things have done in that part of the world. But B Corp uh, re-establishes your responsibility to the total value chain, uh, rather than just seeing your corporation as a, a stronghold in itself, where, where your customers and your suppliers are external. And so, you know, you use your buyer leverage over the supply leverage to sort of maximize advantage and maximize financial returns uh, within the 
stronghold to be able to, to deliver against your fiduciary duty rather than getting your arms around the full value system. So, so you know, for us, um, being a B Corp is meaningful. Um, However, we, we employ a lot of um, vocational um, talent uh, and, you know, they want to work for B Corp and they want to work for an organization that is authentic. We set a lot of targets uh, around, um, you know, the impact that we want to make in the world, uh, which we believe we've got teeth and we've spent a lot of time measuring those. We've got an old impact framework, an impact team that uh, help us to be able to me- measure against impact KPIs alongside the financial KPIs that are. So give me, give me an example of those. What, what would an example of uh, an important impact KPI be for you? Yeah, so uh, so we, we, set a, we set a KPI where we want to um, be able to take three gigatons out of the system, uh, carbon equivalent, by through the through the this what we call the decisive decade 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 being decade we're at the moment um we call it decisive decade because what happens in this decade will determine what happens thousands of years to come so we're at a choice of pivot point uh, and we we feel that you know we have a responsibility as an organization with probably more experts in this area than any other company in the world to deploy them in a way that is going to deliver maximum impact and then measure that kind of impact so we want to get to the end of this decade and look back and think, well, this 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 business that we've created has acted as a vehicle to deliver positive impact on the world. And so we set this three gigaton target. That's about fifty percent of the annual emissions of the United States just to put into perspective. So that's uh, that's you know that's one of the headlines. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to remind you that my book, Making Time for Strategy, is now available. If you want to be less busy and more successful, I highly recommend that you check it out. Why not head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out the details. Now, back to the conversation. And so if you were to zoom out um, and go ahead 10 years or I don't know, something like this into your own business... What 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 would multiplying your impact look like? You know, if if you were here in ten years' time or something like that, and you were looking back and thinking, "Wow, this was you know, I've I remember we had that conversation on the podcast in twenty twenty three, but here we are in twenty thirty three. I couldn't be happy about what we've what we've achieved, the impact we've had. What well, what would that be? What would that be for you? Yeah. Uh, so for us, we know that to be able to deliver the impact that we want to make, we. You know, there just aren't enough people in the world with the expertise that is required to be able to then just lean into human capital to be able to make this happen. So, you know, we're looking at financial inst- instruments, we're looking at uh, digital assets, etc. All the kind of things that we can get AI, all the kind of things that we can we can bring into the mix. A bit like the Sherpa with the oxygen tanks and the mast. You know, we need to bring this equipment in to help our clients use it effectively to be able to deliver exponential impact so we're very focused in terms of how we pull the ingredients together to provide these more holistic solutions but but also uh i mean in fact let me just give you an example so uh, we're working with um farmers in um south africa and in latin america and we are developing programs where we effectively said to those farmers if you move from farming in the way of the old era to a new methodology that is regenerative, then not only will you get 
better yields, but we will be able to get those projects registered and we will be able to unlock climate finance to give you an alternative source of income. So the way the old era has worked is uh, they are suppliers outside the corporate stronghold. They're external. Uh, and so their customers have been saying year on year, more yield, lower price. That's the deal. And if you don't perform, then we've got lots of competition over here that will take the business away. Right. So it's really about, my, yeah, so it's, you're really trying to reimagine the ecosystem a bit here and find other incentives, other streams of income. And, 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 then of course, and then, of course, the chemical companies come in and say, hey, the only way you'll be able to get more yield is to use our chemicals. So they chuck more and more chemicals at it, which is stripped about 56% of the nutrients in the soil. And what we're finding now is that, um, you know, for these farms that have decided to embrace this new methodology, where there are droughts in different parts of the world, you know, there, are, there is dry and arid land, and then there are patches of healthy grassland where the, uh, they're double stocked with livestock uh, and the, you know, often it's cows, the cows are in cart. So they're actually seeing a significant improvement in yield with lower cost because they're not having to spend so much on the chemicals. And then they're getting this alternative source of income associated with uh, this uh, climate finance. And that's coming in from other international corporations. So all of a sudden now, if you are a retailer buying, say, milk from dairy sector, that then there's, there's, a, there's a disruption. There's a disruption in the value chain. And that's another good example as to how big corporations now need to recognize that they've got to move to a total value system by looking at their business as an ecosystem which embraces the suppliers and their customers. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of the theory of disruptive innovation where sustained innovation basically re- relies upon the same ecosystem, uh, the same channels, the same suppliers, and therefore, the existing players tend to just dominate because they've got all those relationships. But disruptive innovation tends to go for things which are not part of the system, new customers, new suppliers, new channels, uh, which the actual incumbents then find it hard to replicate because that's not their history. That's not their, their legacy. I think works against them in some ways. Uh, I was with one of my clients and part of my own CEO community that I was speaking with this week. We all had a, we had a retreat uh, just two days ago. And he was explaining how he'd built a, a business that's probably worth $150, $200 million in about three years because he had botted these different revenue value pools, if you like, that weren't being used within the industry. Uh, it allowed him to create something which is addressing a, a really significant source of carbon uh, emissions. Um, but people were not, thinking about it in, you know, thinking about a linear way. Like this is a problem, right? They were seeing it as a problem and not an opportunity. Whereas he, you know, I won't give all the, all the secrets away, but, you know, he was looking at various things like carbon credits or other regulatory incentives, different things like this. And he said, well, actually, if you look at it this way, this thing's a huge advantage, right? With a bit of technology, it's a regulatory incentive, so we can actually reconstitute things and create value that nobody else is creating. So I do agree with you that this idea that if you, if you step back and think about yeah, how might I reimagine the ecosystem and where value might come from? Then new things can open up. And and that and you, you're touching on an important point because and it goes back to your question in terms of how how we operate to this type of uh, maximum impact uh, because we recognise that we we work for um, many of the biggest organisations of the world that and we want them to see the opportunity for value creation. Yes. 
uh, because inevitably they will move faster. They see that. Uh, the, the problem is the way the world positions this agenda is that it is seen as a threat. And if the world sees it as a threat, then they're more likely to stay in their strongholds for longer, uh, notwithstanding the, uh, the regulatory stick. And there, there will be a reluctance. There will be a reluctance to move. But there is, there is, there is opportunity for value creation across the piece when you, when you actually start to shine a different light on the agenda and you look at um, the space that is created through the disruption in these models. Yeah. So what I'm wondering is, it sounds like you've got big goals, right? You want to create this impact at scale. You want to lead a whole bunch of leaders into this new paradigm, right? Into this new era. What's going to need to shift in how you operate as a leader so that you can multiply your impact? It's one of my favorite questions, right? Because we operate in a certain way. We obviously build a fantastic business. But I'm wondering, like, where's the multiplication lever for you as you kind of think about this huge challenge, right? To bring the world leaders into, into, this, into this future era. Okay, so that's a, that is a great question. Uh, it's a deep one. It's just a small question, right? How are you going to totally reinvent yourself? But hey, why not? Let's go there. <laughs> See what we... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I look at myself and I think, you know, people say, hey, you're post-industrial. Uh, not still to this day, I'm not quite sure what that means. You probably got a better idea. But, uh, but what I know is, is, that, um, is that there's a whole new generation of leaders that have uh, grown up in more digital world than, than I have done and, and, and are more able to, um, to embrace so much of this disruption and the, the speed by which the markets are moving. And, uh, and that excites me, you know, that new breed of leaders excites me. So, I'm trying to sort of, um, you know, surround myself with people who have got that kind of agility. But I think what's really important, I suppose the, uh, the, the main response that I would make to that question is that I see that most corporations have got cultures that are commander control, and especially in people businesses. You know, when people businesses get to a certain size, then, you know, people look across the office and say, I used to know everybody in this company, I was snapping in this office, and now I've because I don't know people, then all of a sudden people start looking like a risk rather than an opportunity. And if a corporation starts to look at people or assets as risks, then uh, they box them up and put controls around them. And it's amazing how quickly you know they, these these empowered, energized entrepreneurial businesses flip into a command structure, which that suppresses their potential. Uh, and if we are Got to be true to our mission and to be able to deliver maximum impact, we must retain as we grow a culture of empowerment. Because what we need to do is we need to empower the assets of this organization and unleash them to be able to deliver maximum impact through our plants, through our vehicle to deliver impact, through our plants uh, to, to, uh, to deliver the impact that aligns with our mission. You know, I find myself uh, increasingly, you know, whether I'm, I'm chief executive officer or whether I'm chief culture officer, you know, it's, it's uh, I spend a, an increasing amount of time making sure that we retain, protect, reinforce that culture of empowerment so that people who come to work and our thesis feel that they're getting more accelerated learning and development because they're being empowered and unleashed to be able to deliver the kind of change that they want to deliver. You know, that's the way how they've chosen to live their life. That's their vocation. Uh, and they want that thesis to be the platform for them to be able to deliver that kind of work out of the world. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's this uh, whole idea of uh, 
the CEO being the custodian of the environment, right, of the culture and of, uh, I think you're right, as businesses grow, they, they can be really easy to, the hierarchy kind of, uh, the word ossifies almost, you know, and people move from entrepreneurial spirits to protective mindsets, which doesn't always uh, serve us. Yeah, well, thank you for this conversation, Stuart. Well, I, I think you've, what's coming across is that you've thought really deeply, you know, about these issues, that you're looking very, in a very structured way about how to shift from one world to the other and take your clients on that journey. And this is a journey that indeed you've been on for whatever you said, 20, 30 years uh, since you've been your education, right, in, in this area. So if people want to kind of find out more about you and, and what Antisys does uh, or about the book, you know, where are the best places for them to go? Well, I mean, here's the book. Uh, the Avengers Sustainable Performance uh, published by Wiley uh, and, uh, and available. Um, paying up sorts of outlets in different parts of the world, or uh, Amazon probably being the most obvious place. Uh, and then uh, at thesis, uh, thesisgroup.com, uh, and we have got uh, all the sort of social media channels that you might um, expect us to have. So, so there's there's quite a bit of information out there on us, uh, and we, you know, we run a whole series of uh, of webinars and uh, and. You know, we believe that we've got quite a lot of knowledge now that is going to be useful for the world and our thesis, and we just want we want to get it out there. So, so hopefully, there's quite a lot of assets that are publicly available for people to get access to. Yeah, that's great. I, 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 let me ask you one kind of last question, perhaps. Obviously, there's plenty of educational resources, your book, and the, web, the resources you just mentioned. But you know, if somebody's a leader in a business and they're thinking, you know what, this is like nagging me. You know, I'm not really making much of it. I'm, it's pretty, pretty much business as usual for me right now, my own leadership. I'm not quite sure where I can make a difference or can I even... Like what's a question you'd invite them to kind of start to think about, right? Or a place where they can you know, start to think differently about their leadership. Like what, what could be a starting point be for somebody who's not quite sure, even whether they quite want to go on this journey or whether they should uh, or whether they can? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I, think that, oh, I think they should, first of all, they should understand the regulatory landscape, so they need to know where they're going to be forced to go on it. They then need to look at the uh, potential opportunity of value creation. They then need to test the enthusiasm, the appetite from their stakeholders, and that's probably going to surprise them. That will then give them a sense as to whether there is the organizational will to step into this transition. And then the leaders have got to then test their own commitment uh, but also the commitment of the team of people around them because the team, you know, leaders and the teams around them that have got primary duty of managing the status quo and seeking incremental efficiency gains, maybe, uh, maybe a different leadership team, but the leadership teams that are required to go on a journey and to step into the unknown and where, you know, Agility and adaptability may actually be the superpowers of the next decades, as opposed to efficiency being the superpower of the last decades. So, you know, these are the kind of tests. And so, for us, you know, one of the things that we we do when we're engaging with a new client who wants at a at a C-suite level who who asks us about this kind of question is is we would we would run a few tests in terms of where they are from a governance perspective, where they are from a uh, leadership effectiveness perspective, where they are in terms of their organizational will, and really test out these kind of things 
and then play it back to them as to how prepared we believe that we are for success. You know, we for many years we have we have done some fantastic sustainability work, and then we realised that actually there was never the governance platform in place to be able to make a success out of out of the other stuff that we're doing. So we we believe that that, that during this early stage of really testing out these kind of things at a leadership and governance level. Yeah, beautiful. I love that idea that you said at the start that people might be surprised if they actually do test out the appetite of their stakeholders to engage in some of these uh, experiments or, or initiatives. Because last place to end, like what if, right? What if this is a bigger opportunity than you imagine? What if this is a def- defining moment in your leadership, right? These are great questions to lean into, I think, as we, as we wrap up here. So Stuart, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your uh, your perspectives here on this, uh, what do you call it, the decisive decade uh, that's ahead of us and, and as a wake-up call for everybody, right? That uh, All of us, that uh, what decisions do we make in this decade and how does that pan out? So many thanks for that. and uh, look forward to seeing uh, how you and and how our thesis continues to grow and evolve uh, as we support the world on this, on this agenda. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Stuart. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com slash podcast where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, when you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact? Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.